Life is messy and hard and full of opportunities to learn and grow. I'm Mandy Jankis of the Kindred and Brave Project. I believe that our humanness makes us kindred and that sharing our stories makes us brave. It's about heart-first, human-centered, story-driven connection. It's about community. And it's about time. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey, everybody. We're back with episode number three of our friendship series. And today, the book that we're using to guide our discussion is called We Should Get Together, which I giggle when I say that because let me just stop and tell you the title and then I'll tell you why I'm giggling. We Should Get Together, The Secret to Cultivating Better Friendships by Kat Velos. Back to my giggling. How many times have you ever said to somebody, we should get together? Probably if you're in your 30s or 40s, maybe in the hundreds. How often have you said we should get together and not meant it? So you've said that as a statement, really, and and walked away knowing in your gut, I probably am never going to reach out to this person. So I think it's really important as we continue this topic of friendship, and today we're going to dive into more tools, uh, which I love this book for. It's a very usable roadmap that talks about some of the things that get in our way, as well as things we can try. Now, some of the things in the book are maybe not be applicable to everybody, but I think the word that I'm going to use very often in today's conversation is intentional. I think that when we are talking about our friendships in mid-ish life, probably the most important theme that I have seen come up from reading these books and thinking about my own experiences and figuring out what I wanted to say to you all is intentionality, is being intentional from here on forward. It's almost like I can't unlearn what I've just learned from these experts on friendship. I've had some hard truths, which I'll talk about today uh, as an example of maybe what can go wrong or in ways we can grow. But ultimately, I want you to think about the word intentional as I'm saying it, what it means to you and how you can really put it into your relationships from here on out. So she starts off this book by making it clear that our definitions of friendships are really different. And this can be based on where you're at in your life. So age-wise, friendship and how we define it in grade school, middle school, high school, 20s or college, and then adulthood, right? Either early adulthood or as we're talking middish life, that definition really changes. I think for for many of us, we can look back into earlier life and see that friendship is a word that we used much more frequently to define people 
without truly thinking about or understanding what it meant to us. So now we're really getting intentional about what a friendship is, what we want from it, what we need from it, what we're willing to give to it, how we can grow in it. Ultimately, because the research shows us that when we do this, we are putting years, literal years, onto our lifespan. Now, some of you may be thinking, I, I have tons of friends, I'm fine. And again, as we go through some of the talking points from Kat's book, I'm going to challenge you to think about how close really are you to your friends? Because are you being intentional with how often you're calling or texting or seeing each other or asking questions or the type of listener that you are. So again, we'll we'll evolve into this conversation. Basically, what we know is that we need friends, okay? We need friends because there's an epidemic of loneliness. We also know that catching us up over the past four years, our friendships have changed a lot because of what happened with the COVID-19 pandemic. So we were forced into a a type of situation where we were locked down, we had to get creative. And for many of us during that time, we moved, our friends moved, our jobs moved, and or we can just look at relationships that changed or fell away. So we're in a really reflective state right now. And the question I wanna start off by asking you is, to think about in mid-ish life, how do you find friends? I'm not talking about the friends that you have, the friends that you've carried on from ages and stages in life. Have you ever considered how to make new friends? I have, because as I've shared with you, I've moved back right? I've moved back to a place that I lived in for 27 years after being gone for 10 years. And one of the things that Kat talks about is in her book are the reasons why friendship feels difficult. So I'd like to start off with giving some of those examples. Some of them you may think, oh my gosh, my friend experienced this. Some of them you may think, yes, this is what I've gone through. And some may not resonate at all. So Kat talks first in her book about really metropolitan areas, so cities, and how difficult it can be to move to a new city. So city living looks very different than suburban living. So in the for 10 years before I moved back to Northwest Indiana, which is the epitome of suburbia, I was living in a city. And cities have their own challenges. There's public transportation. Some folks have cars. Other folks do not. Now, these are challenges that in my life now, in living in a subdivision in suburban, you know, Chicago, folks all have vehicles or transportation. In fact, the only bus systems you would see in Northwest Indiana are picking up children, okay? Now, I want you to think about your career or job situation. Do you work? If you work, has that changed, meaning has your place of employment changed since COVID-19? And to explain that a little bit more, I want you to think about, are you working from home? 
or are you in the office? Or is it a variation of those two things, right? So many of the people that were interviewed in this book and that we've talked to or talked talked about have had these really unique experiences where now they are still at their jobs and all of their meetings are via Zoom. They're going into the office maybe once a week, maybe once a month. So the working relationships look much different, okay? Next, I want you to think about what has happened in your own life in the last five years. Let me give you some examples that Kat shares that I think are very pivotal to think about in terms of where you're at with your own friends, either that you've carried on with you throughout your life or new friends that you've made. Have you gotten married, gotten divorced, had a baby, or lost a loved one? Let me smush some of my own experiences together in what has felt a little bit like the perfect shitstorm for me from a socio-emotional perspective. I moved across the country back into a place that I called home. However, what I failed to consider in that move is that for the 10 years I was gone, many of the folks that I had been friends with for my 27 years had never moved. So their friendships, their roots kept growing down, 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 deeper, deeper, deeper. I, on the other hand, went and lived what felt like a whole new life and then came back a different person to folks who were also growing and evolving. So just because you move back to a place that feels comfortable doesn't necessarily mean the soil right, is the same. So what I mean by that is your friends and the people. In addition to that, I had a baby at 38 years old. Now, 38 years old is not old to have a child unless you're at the gynecological office in U.S. American culture, in which case your records will actually state that you are a geriatric mother. I still will not be hurt or over the fact that that is what a 38-year-old woman is categorized, well, really anybody over the age of 35. But when you look at suburban lifestyles, many of the folks living in this area tend to get married much earlier, so early 20s, and have children much earlier early to mid 20s, which means that coming back compared to a lot of the old relationships, I was really starting over. So I have friends that have kids going into middle school or even high school when I had a newborn. If you have children, you know that the age and stage of your children impact the things that you do, not only as an individual, but as a family unit. In addition to that, I lost my mother. I was 37 years old when my mom died. I was 36, 37 years old as I cared for a terminally ill mother. This is not 
impossible, right? I am not the only person in the world who is this young. In fact, there are millions of women who are much, much younger than me who lost their mothers. However, if we look at the natural, I'm air quoting, way that life usually, again, air quoting, goes, typically, I would be a decade-ish older caring for sick or aging parents. So the reason that I'm sharing that is because on top of moving back to a place where folks never left, having a child at an age that wasn't the norm, I was also one of my only peers experiencing losing a parent. And the reason that I'm sharing this is not to gain sympathy or empathy, but it's to allow you to zoom out. Remember, we talked about this idea of perspective. And I want you to think about some of the folks in your life and what they've been through and or what you yourself have gone through in a way to help you understand how it impacts who you are as a friend and how your friendships have changed. And I think that's really important. And the reason for that is because I pulled deeply away from many of my friends and it wasn't on purpose. There was a social anxiety that grew from all three of those major life changes that happened in a year. So a very, very condensed 12-month period of time, huge loss, birth of a child, cross-country move. That brought on really big fears and anxieties about life in general and how to interact with people, okay? So even when we've been friends with folks for a really long time, we have to remember that just like not all of us were taught how to be vulnerable, we talked about that in the last episode or in the first episode with Braving the Wilderness. Vulnerability is key. Last episode, we bring in these ideas of attachment theory, how secure we feel with people we care about. Again, the reason we started with Brene's research is Kat's book really not only quotes vulnerability, but truly brings vulnerability up to the forefront of friendships. Because we are living now in a time where busyness has become, she says, a problem and an excuse for sure. And there are things we can do to talk about how to take that out of our vocabulary. But the reality is we have very full lives. And so small talk doesn't serve us. We have to be able to go deep to both nurture the friendships we have and to grow new ones. So when I was in Seattle, I went four years. So the entire time I lived there before I had my son, Micah, without making a close friend the type of friend who you feel like you can call in the middle of the night when something goes really wrong or disclose personal maybe issues or problems that make you feel insecure too. 
I had casual friends. After I had Micah, I joined what was called a peps group. And the reason why I love this so much is because I met with 10 other mothers whose babies were in the two-week age range of my own son. Every week, we rotated houses that we met at. So it was also this, let's be clear, I was hugely uncomfortable when it was time to host at my own house, but it was part of the deal. And I think after reading these books and researching friendship, I understand why they had people host in their houses. It, it really is a comfortable scenario and it lends us to be able to go deep quickly. So each week we rotated the houses and mothers would shuffle in some houses sizable, many of them like my own, a townhouse with a very small living room. You were tripping over diaper bags, bottles, all of the baby things in addition to strollers or car seats. And a facilitator would lead us through two hours of a topic for that week, which was really revolved first around our kiddos, what was hap happening developmentally for them, how are they growing, and then moved into how are we, the mothers, experiencing life? And this is where I found so much comfort. At the end of every meeting, we did what was called sharing highs and lows. And every mom got to go around and share the high for the week. And it didn't have to be related to their child. Many of us were in hard periods of marriage, right? Your marriage changes drastically when you have a kid. So sharing things that were working or made us happy and then sharing the hard stuff. It was in that group that I found three women who became mine and my family's closest, dearest friends for five years. And I've mentioned that we, we called each other family. We felt more like family than friends. And as I read Kat's book, and I've been researching friendship now for a, a month, over a month, really digging in, I understand how we became so close so fast. We were in one of these big life-changing experiences, having a baby, together, and we saw each other weekly in addition to what quickly turned into walks at the beach, coffees, mommy and me yoga, mom's nights out, and endless group texting about everything from what color the baby's poop was to what happens if they're chewing on their cribs to arguments with spouses and then years later to loss, loss of grandparents and loss of my own mom. And we walked through all of this in a tight knit little friend group and it was so beautiful but again we got there I think really quickly because of our willingness to be vulnerable according to an article in the Wall Street Journal it takes at least 200 hours to make a close friendship and even more to maintain it and Kat uses this information in her book, not to scare us, 
But to make us recognize what we've been saying in these episodes is that friendship takes work. It takes time. And even if you have your friends from grade school, those who are lovingly referred to as your ride or dies, doesn't mean that they're just kind of grandfathered into your life forever. They still deserve time and attention, right? Commitment. And so in her book, she talks about these seeds of connection. And the first is proximity. Now, obviously, one of the easiest ways to make new friends is to think about where you're currently at in your life, meaning where you live, where you work, who is close to you. So for me now, instead of having to drive over to my friends in the city or take public transportation, this looks like a mile loop of a neighborhood in which I myself can walk to many friends' houses. I can also send my kid down on a scooter and say, I need a half a cup of flour, stat. And that makes friendship pretty easy in in the seed of proximity. Then there's frequency. And here we start having what I think goes really lends to the last seed, commitment. In order to have frequency or to interact often, I think there has to be a clear commitment. How much time and effort are you willing and able to give to your friendships? Kat says that we need to have these conversations with old friends and with new friends. We have to be on the same page about expectations. So again, to bring you back to my example, when I was meeting new friends, I was really craving close connection. I moved into a brand new house in a really new subdivision that was not all the way built up yet, coming off of a loss, a cross-country move, and having a newborn baby. So I was craving closeness, somebody to be able to understand the grief I was experiencing, not only from the loss of my mom, but on these other levels. Because even though I was in close proximity to some people, the subdivision wasn't full. And of course, everybody has their own lives and work. So the frequency wasn't there. I wasn't necessarily clear about commitment. I didn't even recognize that that was something that should be discussed in a friendship. And so that, I think, lent a hand into having what became this nature of anxiety around social situations and interactions. The fourth seed she talks about is compatibility. And when we talk about compatibility in friendships, coming off of the last two episodes, again, I want to encourage you to think about how many people are in your life do you share the word or phrase or title friends with that are actually different from you? When she talks about compatibility, she doesn't mean that we have to be the same. The truth is we can grow in really big ways when we're not the same. And based on what we know from Braving the Wilderness, we are often just thinking that we're the same because we're trying to fit in to a community or group instead of belonging first to ourselves. So this idea of compatibility, I think, stretches us to think about what does it look like to meet people and cultivate relationships, turning into friendships with folks that are different from us. 
And the word that comes up in Kat's book is values. So in order to have a friendship with somebody, you do not have to share values. It happens, um, but compatibility can also mean liking to go hiking. Compatibility can mean having children that are the same age. So there's varying aspects of your lives that can be, quote, compatible with others. It doesn't mean that your beliefs and values are the same. And I want to read you some quotes from the book that I found really interesting. So one interviewer said, or interviewee says, common, common ground and opinions are valuable, but I won't learn anything new or gain novel perspectives if I'm only surrounded by those exactly like mine. Another interviewee said, I don't like living in an echo chamber. My friends and I have many things in common, but I do actively seek out friendships with people who differ from me in background belief or personality type. And that's so important. And I know many listeners know what the Enneagram is, and I'm trained in the integrative Enneagram. And when we talk about this idea of personality types, this really made me think about the Enneagram and this idea that we all have our own flavor and we all have access to different personality types. And our friends can help us grow into traits or habits or reactions that will serve us better. So choosing friends that are different from us actually has a lot of benefits. Now, again, in order to do this, in a, in a timely manner, right? U.S. American culture, time is money. We're all very busy. Let's think about in mid-ish life, how do, we, how do we do this in a way where finding friends or being friends doesn't become our full-time job? And this back, brings us back to breathing and trust. So in Brene's work, she talks about this idea of the marble jar metaphor, and it comes from learning about trust from when her daughter was very young. Basically, her daughter shared something with somebody at school who then shared it with other classmates. Her daughter came home very upset. Brene got curious, started to really question, what do adults even know about trust? How do we define this? The breathing acronym was born, right? Boundaries, reliability, accountability. We went over all of that. And she leads us to thinking about this marble jar metaphor, the idea that with a little bit of vulnerability, we build a little bit of trust. We build a little bit of trust with a little bit of vulnerability. These actions are what she defines as marble jar moments or marbles in our trust jar. So think for a second about how your friends have earned trust in your life. And now I'm going to push you because when I do this activity in workshops with groups, one-on-one -on -one with my clients, or in classrooms or high school gyms, what tends to happen is I get very basic responses. What that means is they tell me, but they don't show me. So if I say to you, how do your friends earn marbles? You might say something like, they follow up. You're telling me they follow up, but you're not showing me how they follow up. So let me give you an example of what following up as a marble jar action looks like. 
And the reason that we're doing this is much like Brene says with values, we don't just want to profess them or be able to say what's important. We want to be able to live them and understand when they're lived out in front of us. I would say that friends who follow up definitely earn marbles in my own trust jar. And some examples of how that has looked for me the last four years are seared in my memory. I can remember the text to my three best friends in Seattle in addition to the phone call to my best friend who was still living in Northwest Indiana after I found out that my mom had a mass in her chest. So at this point, she wasn't diagnosed with cancer yet, but as everybody who has had this experience in their life knows, it's a terrorizing time and there's a lot of waiting and unknowns. And what follow-up looked like for me was constant check-ins. I didn't always respond to the messages or to the calls, but they kept calling. They kept asking. My friends in Seattle, I remember they dropped off um, they dropped off a card. One friend immediately said, let me take Micah. Let's let you and Andy have some time to process this. Please, he can come over and play for a while. My best friend knew that I needed some time to kind of process and think about this. So she kept a very safe and in- intentional check-in with my husband to make sure I was doing okay mentally. So following up had very specific actions. So as you think about how you grow to trust people, think about what the actions are. Another example I can give you of somebody who earned a marble in my marble jar. I shared with you all that recently we lost our sweet dog, Luna. It was the day before my birthday. And it was so, so hard. And many of the folks in my neighborhood here have seen Luna out on walks or out in the yard. She was sweet. She was well-loved. And a couple of days after that, I think it was just two days after that, a neighbor texted and asked me if I was home. And I said yes. And she said she wanted to drop something off. And I figured in my mind that it was something like a card or or a sympathy gift for Luna. And to be honest with you, I didn't want to see anybody. I still wasn't ready to see anybody. She said, I want to make sure I'm not just leaving it at the door. I want to give it to you. Oh, okay. Okay. So she comes to the door and she hands me this bag and I kind of share some tears with her and she gives me a hug and she said, I would like, I would like it if you opened it. She had drawn on canvas, she had actually, it was painted on canvas, Luna. This beautiful, it looks just like her. She's an incredible artist. So in just two days after my dog died, not only did she think, I want to show her how much I care, but she went through a Facebook post that I had posted with tons of pictures of Luna, studied them, and created this portrait of her that looks identical to those pictures. It was one of the sweetest things that anybody has ever done to me. And actually she said, I don't always have the right words, but I have this. And it meant so much to me. 
So when you are thinking about trust and how friends build it up or how it goes away, please remember, be clear about what the marbles are in your jar. So in addition, some of the guidances that Kat gives us are near and dear to my communication instructor heart. You know, so many people think that because we talk and listen every day, we're inherently good at it. And that could not be farther from the truth, right? So one of the parts of Kat's book tells us a way to grow in friendship is to ask better questions. And in asking better questions means that we have to be better listeners. And most of us are not good listeners. Research from my communication studies book show that we are either A, listening with the intent to reply. So oftentimes, if we are in an argument or disagreement with a friend, this means that we are trying to come up with a rebuttal or proof as to why they are wrong. Or we are scanning our brain for similar stories as they're talking. So they're sharing the loss of their dog. And we're like, oh gosh, this is really uncomfortable. I can think about that one time when I lost my dog and I can talk about that. When you're doing either one of those things, the idea is you're in your own head. You're not present with the friend that you're listening to. So asking good questions matters. And this looks like open-ended questions. She really got me when she threw out one of the examples that I love so much. And it is... What does that feel like for you? Throws a lot of people off because as a society, again, we are not trained or taught how to talk about feelings. In fact, based on how you were raised culturally or in which family, depending on if you are a male or a female, some feelings might even be off limits. So when somebody asks you what it feels like, or when you try to ask somebody what it feels like, don't be shocked if they're shocked and they don't know how to answer. And that's still a great place to start because you've got them thinking and you're there with them and you're showing them that you want to get to get to know them better. So as we're talking about this today and another great book about friendships has shared some really big tips. The question I have for you is, are you getting what you need out of your friendships? The answers I think might surprise you. They surprised me. And what Kat tells us is, again, it's okay to ask for what we need. And this brings us to her research going to the nonviolent communication website. Now, there is a list online that she includes in her book that I think is so helpful. Something that I've shared with you, a tool that I use often with every single client, with students, with myself, with my kiddos, is the feelings wheel. It is a wheel of feelings because generally we know three, happy, sad, or pissed off. Now, if we've watched the movie Inside Out, we might say that we're disgusted or surprised, right? And if we know that Inside Out 2 is coming, we know that anxiety is going to be added to the list in that movie, among others. But we still are at a loss for naming our emotions. So the Nonviolent Communication website 
has these needs and feelings list. And I'm going to read you some of these examples because they're so helpful, especially when we have that feeling of, I'm not really sure how I feel. I'm feeling something. My stomach's upset. I feel flushed or angry. Like I know something's going on, but I don't know how to name it. So when needs are met, some of the examples of the feelings we might feel are calm, friendly, content, tender, interested, joyful. When needs are not met, some of the feelings that come up are agitated, exasperated, flustered, helpless, tense. So these words go with the phrase, when blank happens, I feel blank. Or when blank happened, I felt blank. Now the needs needs list from nonviolent communication lists universal human needs. It's not an exhaustive list, but it includes these categories and a reasonable selection of universal needs that we all have because we are all human beings. Now, I'm just going to tell you the categories and I think it will be a great place for us to start to wrap up today's episode when we think about why friendship is so important. The categories of the needs list are connection, autonomy, peace, interconnection, meaning, celebration, competence, honesty, and basic survival. So at the end of the book, another cool thing that Kat includes is a reading guide. And this is filled with questions that can be used as a reflection for ourselves, or that you could even practice using by asking your friends or when you make new friends. And two that I pulled out because I wanted us to stay with this theme of intentionality. And I think one of the biggest things that gets in our way in midlife regarding tending to our friendships or making new ones is busyness. And I'm not implying that we're not actually as busy as we say we are. I am implying that we use busyness as an excuse. She goes into some really powerful research about how often we're on social media or looking at our phones. And like she mentions, your phone can give you this information too. Your online screen time for the week. Now, some of us have four plus hours that we spend on our phones per week. And I challenge you to think about what it would look like for you to take even 30 minutes away from that online time for an intentional connection, be it leaving a few voice memos to your friends, calling a friend, inviting a friend for a walk, making a date to get coffee or dinner. Do you ever find yourself using busy as a crutch? And how often do you make time for connecting with your friends and why? And I shared with you at the beginning of the episode These are definitely two of the questions that jostled me because I absolutely use busy as a crutch. And as a reminder, I have started adopting this new phrase. We can't make time or create time. There are 24 hours in a day. That's all we get. But we decide what we carve out time for. 
and I have really committed to being more intentional about carving out time to send friends notes, snail mail, texts, letting them know that I care about them or that they matter to me, sharing a funny story, because I realized that I am very guilty of A, using busyness as a crutch, also known as an excuse, and not creating or not carving out enough time to connect with my friends. So on that note, I want to invite you to please, please, please hop over to my website, kindredandbrave.com, sign up for our mighty network, the Kindred and Brave Project, because I'm so excited to announce that we have our first four absolutely free meetings now available. I started with what my gut told me to. So the first things that you'll see are what are called the grief patch. And these are four one hour long grief support meetings. And the name, the grief patch was inspired by my teaching philosophy, which I had actually rewritten in 2019. And it pays tribute to the pea patches in Seattle. So living in the city, most folks didn't have a yard, but were still very interested in gardening. So walking around neighborhoods or parks, there were these pea patches and you could sign up for a small plot of land. And that little plot was next to dozens of other plots and people grew flowers, vegetables, and at different times of the day, complete strangers were in their quote unquote gardens working together on what they were growing. And I think it's a beautiful metaphor for what we're trying to build, what I'm trying to build intentionally with these conversations and in our community. The idea is that we are better together. Specifically around grief, we weren't meant to do this alone. So in each of these one hour sessions, we will have a theme or a topic for example, the different types of grief, anticipatory grief versus the second losses we experience when we lose somebody. I watched a great movie last weekend called Suncoast, and there was this scene, a, a woman has a terminally ill son, and he's now in a facility, and she walks outside to get some fresh air, and there's another woman sitting outside who introduces herself as the grief counselor. She says, would you like to talk? And the woman says, I, I don't need to talk to you. I'm not grieving yet. My child is still alive. So it, it's a beautiful movie, layers and layers and layers of the grief journey. But I think really such a great example of anticipatory grief and this idea that we can be grieving even when our people are still alive. All ages and stages of grievers are welcome. All losses are welcome. So you can find more information about that in the Mighty Network. I will also post links in the show notes. I pulled a card from the Morgan Harper Nichols. She's an amazing artist and poet. Deck that I have. And it simply says, embrace the possibility of what could be. And I hope that as you think about that phrase, you think about your own friendships, what you have and what you're grateful for, and what you hope will blossom as your life continues to grow. Have a great day.